This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. Hello, welcome to the program. My name is Spumelele Zondi, broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on frequency 11885 kHz on the 31-meter band if you're in West Africa. I am with Jona Mutulo, with Elima Tebula, and Mutulu Makura. You can also stream us on channelafrica.co.za YouTube stories. U.S. President Donald Trump says the full weight of the federal government is being deployed to bring those responsible for, uh, to justice after bomb-like devices were mailed to high-profile political leaders. A United Nations Special Rapporteur on Human Rights Defenders says anti-immigration rhetoric around the world is increasingly worrying. And Liberia's President George Ware has declared that all undergraduates at public universities across the country should enjoy free tuition. In business news, Sudan has agreed to lift a partial ban on Egyptian goods and remove obstacles to the movement of goods and people between the neighboring states. And in sports news, South Africa's under 17 women's football team departs for the FIFA World Cup in a day's time. Thank you, Spumalele. Good afternoon. Authorities in, north, in the northern Nigerian city of Kaduna have relaxed around-the-clock curfew that was imposed because of deadly sectarian violence between Muslim and Christian mobs. Their reduction by 11 hours now allows residents outside from dawn to dusk. Governor Nasir al-Rufai imposed the 24-hour curfew on Sunday after at least 55 people were killed in clashes in the town of Kasuan, Mangani. On Tuesday, he gave residents a four-hour window to leave their homes and restock food piles following complaints that people had run out of basic necessities, including water and food. Communal violence erupted after fighting broke out between Hausa Muslims and Adara Christian youths in Kaswan Magani's market following a dispute among wheelbarrow porters. The Ethiopian parliament has elected the country's first female president, Saleh Zwerdi, a senior United Nations official and former ambassador who was rather uh, and the former ambassador was chosen unanimously after her predecessor resigned. The BBC's Will Ross has the story. In her first speech as president, Sahala Werk Zaude spoke at length about gender equality and promised to work hard to make it a reality in Ethiopia. She told members of parliament that if they thought she was talking too much about women, she'd only just begun. The country's first female president also pledged to promote peace at a time when ethnic tensions are threatening the stability of Ethiopia. It may be a largely ceremonial post, but this appointment is further evidence that Ethiopia is doing far better than most African countries when it comes to getting women into leadership positions. The trial of Nigerian controversial pastor Timothy Omodoso has been postponed to next Tuesday in the Port Elizabeth High Court in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province. Presiding Judge Mandela Makola has read an affidavit from Omodoso asking him to recuse himself from the case. The affidavit says that the judge is overly sympathetic, identified and has aligned with the first witness, Cheryl Zondi. It further reads that Makola is biased with Zondi and prejudiced against Omodoso and that he has disqualified qualified himself from continuing with this case. United States authorities have discovered suspicious packages sent to former Vice President Joe Biden and actor-activist Robert De Niro, both fierce critics of President Donald Trump. This follows a week in which several prominent Democrats and media house CNN have been targeted with similar devices. Show and Bryce Pease reports from New York. 
This brings to nine the number of devices that have been intercepted by law enforcement authorities, including the Secret Service that intercepted devices sent to former President Barack Obama in Washington and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton at her home in upstate New York. Leaders on both sides of the political divide, including President Trump, have condemned these acts of domestic terror as a symptom of divisive political rhetoric less than two weeks before the midterm elections. Trump, in a tweet later, blamed the mainstream media for the anger in society, but took no responsibility for his personal invective. A suspicious package sent to Biden was found in a mail facility in Newcastle County, Delaware. A similar package was sent to De Niro's Manhattan offices. And finally, the director of the CIA has, is reported to have heard audio recordings of the murder of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Gina Haspal is said to have listened to the material during a visit to Turkey this week on on Wednesday, President Donald Trump said Saudi Arabian officials had carried out what he called the worst cover-up in history. The BBC's Mark Lowen reports. Turkey, it seems, has played its biggest card yet in the aftermath of the Jamal Khashoggi murder, reportedly passing the recordings from inside the Saudi consulate that are said to reveal how Jamal Khashoggi was killed to the CIA director, Gina Haspel. If confirmed, the lurid details that have been steadily leaked to the Turkish media, the screams, the torture, the dismemberment of the body, would now be in the hands of the American government. Proof, Ankara maintains, of the meticulously planned operation. The question remains if it can be directly traced to the highest levels of the Saudi state. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Seventeen oh six Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we continue to give you news from an African perspective. You can find us on Twitter. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za. That is, uh, that's on email, info at channelafrica.co.za. On Twitter, it is Channel Africa One. Now, United States President Donald Trump says the full weight of the federal government is being deployed to investigate and bring those responsible to justice after several bomb-like devices were mailed to high-profile political leaders in several locations in the country. A pipe bomb device was successfully removed from the Time Warner Center that houses the CNN headquarters in New York, causing the building to be evacuated for hours. Devices addressed to former President Barack Obama and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton were also intercepted by the Secret Service. Sean Bryce Peace reports. The area around CNN's headquarters near Columbus Circle evacuated, an area normally a hub of activity in central Manhattan brought to a standstill. As the NYPD's bomb squad successfully removed the device from CNN's headquarters and ferried it out of the city, the New York City Police Department's Deputy Commissioner, John Miller. The incident here today, once the package was discovered, emergency service was notified, they called the bomb squad. The bomb squad was able to safely remove a device contained in that package using the total containment vessel, the TCV, or in simple terms the bomb truck that has gone to our range at Rodman's Neck where FBI special agent bomb technicians will work with our people on how to get it to the next stop which should be the FBI lab so all of this evidence can be examined together. The Secret Service also intercepted devices sent to the homes of billionaire philanthropist George Soros and Bill and Hillary Clinton in upstate New York one addressed to President Barack Obama in Washington, another addressed to former Attorney General Eric Holder in Florida, and a mail-sorting facility in Maryland that services Capitol Hill. Hillary Clinton earlier weighed in. We are fine, thanks to the men and women of the Secret Service who intercepted the package addressed to us long before it made its way to our home. Every day we are grateful for their service and commitment and obviously never more than today. But it is a troubling time, isn't it? And it's a time of deep divisions and we have to do everything we can to bring our country together. The current administration quick to condemn these acts of terror. Listen to Vice President Mike Pence. We condemn these attempted 
acts of violence in the strongest possible terms. These cowardly acts are despicable and have no place in American society. I want to assure you we've deployed the full resources of the FBI, the United States Secret Service, and they're working very closely with law enforcement officials. Law enforcement in New York will remain on alert with high visibility resources deployed across the city, while officials explained that there were no further credible threats here at a time of acute political division across the country, as New York Mayor Bill de Blasio explained. Let's just say this to all public officials of all partisan affiliations. Don't encourage violence. Don't encourage hatred. Don't encourage attacks on media. You can disagree but you have to show respect for people and air your disagreements peacefully. So unfortunately, this atmosphere of hatred is contributing to the choices people are making to turn to violence. There's no question about it. And the way to stop that is to turn back the other way, to bring down the temperature, to end any messages about the use of violence against people we disagree with. And that has to start at the top. None of the pipe bomb devices harmed anyone while law enforcement is investigating whether they were sent by the same person or group of people. I'm Sherman Bryce Bees in New York. The chief of India's top crime fighting bureau was sacked after he accused his second iron command of taking bribes from a meat exporter with global business interests. Opposition groups say the step was also aimed at killing an investigation into $9 billion military jet deal with France Ranasen. Opposition Congress Party spokesman Abhishek Manu Singhvi insisted the CBI or Central Bureau of Investigation Director Alok Verma had to go as he was looking much too closely into the deal for 36 Rafale fighter jets clinched by Prime Minister Narendra Modi in 2016. Prime Minister is experiencing Rafaelophobia. Rafaelophobia. This terror of the Rafale scam has led to the demolition by this Prime Minister, this ruling BJP, this government, to the demolition of the pillars of Indian investigating agency. Why? To save your own skin. Rafalophobia indeed, but his party colleague Aishwarya Mahadeva believed Verma was also sacked for accusing his deputy Rakesh Asthana, Modi's blue-eyed boy, of taking bribes from billionaire Indian exporter Moin Qureshi. We believe what has happened here is Prime Minister Modi is trying to basically stop the skeletons from coming out of the closet. The closet which Mr. Astana is guarding, just this is just the tip of the iceberg. And the minute you remove Mr. Astana from that place, you realize that a lot of the scams and scandals are going to unravel. India claims Qureshi holds secret bank accounts in South Africa and elsewhere. The exporter has been a cause for the downfall of three top CBI officers in the past as well, added whistleblower Vinit Narayan. Series of directors have been indulging in unethical practices, there have been allegations of corruption. This has not improved the image of CBI or their functioning. It's a very disturbing situation and my pain is that we fought so much for so many years in the interests of nation and people. That's not our concern. Our concern is, is CBI is functioning in a transparent, accountable manner? It is not. The crime fighting agency serves a similar role as the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation, but now it has no respect left, added former CBI Deputy Director Neeraj Kumar. Here was an organization to which people used to turn when a state government found that their crime branch has not been able to deliver on the investigation of a case. They would transfer it to the CBI if the public so wanted. Now all that is gone. People have lost their confidence in this organization. That is what is most tragic. And who is Rakesh Asthana? The officer probed the 2002 riots in Gujarat when the present Prime Minister was the State Chief Minister. Courts could not find any evidence to indict Narendra Modi, although he was widely blamed for the massacre of Muslims. This is Rana Sen reporting from New Delhi. Dr. Amalia Ghanius-Malka, welcome to Humanity, Woman in Unity. 
the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socio-economic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us today is South Africa's High Commissioner to New Zealand, Oyeswa Tulelo. Be sure to join Channel Africa at 10 o'clock Central African time on Thursday, the 23rd of this month, for this interesting episode of Womanity. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It is 17.15 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa. Now, the Democratic Republic of Congo Civil Society has called on both the Congolese government and the United Nations humanitarian community to bring quick assistance for Congolese recently expelled from Angola. More than 200,000, including women and children, are facing terrible conditions in the Kasai region. The humanitarian community is ready to intervene, but still waiting for the government's request. Jean-Noël Bamwenze is in Kinshasa. Both authorities and people here in the Democratic Republic of Congo are very concerned about the situation of violence Congolese were victims of when being expelled from Angola. About 200 Congolese have been deported and most of them are hosted in the Kamako village in the Kasai region. They have described the conditions of deportation they went through as very violent and some of them were even killed. The Democratic Republic of Congo's government has condemned such an attitude used by Angolan authorities and called on them to respect the human rights and diplomatic measures. The DRC Minister of Foreign Affairs, Leonard Sheokitundu, has sent a letter of protest and invited the ambassador of Angola for hearing. Minister Okitundu believes it's the right of Angola to expel illegal immigrants, but with respect of human rights. I have mentioned in that letter the denunciation and condemnation of such a way of deportation. The DRC government calls on Angola to come back to diplomatic channels in order to find a solution to such shameful practices. Otherwise, the DRC won't have any other choice but to request a competent international proceedings. Meanwhile, the UN peacekeeping mission here has deployed an assessment team in the Kamako village in the Kasai region to assess the situation and make sure the deported people are protected from armed groups operating in the central part of the Democratic Republic of Congo. I then asked Leila Zerugui, who is the special representative of the UN Secretary General in this country, how is MONUSCO dealing with the situation of those deported people? You know we don't have a mandate on what is going on outside of the country. Our mandate is really Congo. As I mentioned, they are illegal immigrant or immigrant or whatever or economic in this country. Once they cross the border, if they don't go to their home, if they don't home at home, then you become uh, displaced. Humanitarian have to come and support them. Our responsibility is that this area you have also armed groups. That's Kamuinan Sapo and Banamura. That's why I asked our military to go and have an assessment and also a human rights office went to monitor and document if there is violation and of course the humanitarian to see how they come and provide support to them. The first responsibility is for the Democratic Republic of Congo's authorities and that's the reason why the UN mission here is working in collaboration with local authorities in that part of this country. What's important in this situation is to get a clear assessment and make sure there is no threat against these deported people who are now displaced here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. That's indeed what the special representative of the UN Secretary General told Channel Africa. Once more, Leila Zerugui explains. We are working with the local authorities, first of all, to have a clear assessment and to make sure that they are not under threat from armed groups. That's the most important. That is my mandate. The rest is, of course, humanitarian and other segment of the UN and government. Meanwhile, the Democratic Republic of Congo's government has given two months to any foreign citizen who believes he's living illegally here to fix his situation as soon as possible. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. 
A United Nations Special Rapporteur on Human Rights Defenders says anti-immigrant rhetoric around the world is increasingly worrying. Independent rights expert Michael Frost also says defenders often face attacks from local officials and are at the center of the narrative deeming them enemies of the state. Frost explains that countries resisting immigration fear an influx of migrants will change the nature of the country and taint national values. During my academic visits to countries, during my official visits to countries, since I've been appointed in March 2014, I met with a number of defenders of the rights of migrants and people on the move in the U.S., in Mexico, in Guatemala, Honduras, in Colombia. That's also in Azerbaijan, in Hungary, in Europe as well, and in Australia also, where they are facing a dire situation, those who are trying to, to protect asylum seekers. And that's a global phenomenon. You see that migration is a global phenomenon and you cannot escape of that. People need to move, will move because they want to move or simply because they are forced to leave the country and to move. So we need to find ways to protect them and human rights defenders are those who are protecting the rights of migrants. And because they are sometimes assimilated to migrants, they are themselves facing strong attacks by states and public officials that uh, accuse them to be smugglers uh, or to introduce uh, migrants uh, illegally uh, to countries. And that's a a phenomenon which is for me uh, really uh, worrying with the uh, increasing uh, number of countries in in which we see uh, populist leaders, uh, not only Hungary, but also Poland, the Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia, but also Austria, Italy. And uh, although there are also countries in which you don't have those populist leaders, the, the power of those parties also in countries is so powerful that sometimes those who would like to refuse to follow the same path sometimes also tend to, uh, to be vocal also on migrants. That's the case in France, that's the case in Spain, that's the case in other, in other countries in which you see that uh, defenders of the right of migrants are now sometimes brought to justice like in France, like in Italy, like in Spain. So democratic countries are also following the same path, which is for me a signal that something is going wrong. What is the justification that they're giving for, first of all, repression of migrants and preventing them from coming into the country and also repressions against defenders of their rights? And you see, I mean, you, you know the rhetoric of those uh, political leaders, those uh, politicians, uh, those um, actors uh, that uh, tend to communicate a, a strong message that those migrants uh, would change the nature of the country, that would introduce new, new values, uh, which are not the values of the countries. Uh, that's the case for those who are coming from, from uh, Muslim countries. Uh, in fact, uh, they would say that uh, the power of those people would be uh, in our countries uh, a danger, a threat uh, for the uh, values of the states. Uh, so they find uh, many ways to also describe those migrants as a danger for the country. And I was in uh, Hungary precisely at the time where there was a flow of, of migrants trying to escape from uh, Syria, trying to enter through Serbia to Hungary. I was appalled to see the behavior of police officers, also of, of citizens, uh, that we are also trying to uh, protect the borders, uh, trying to uh, also attack uh, the the migrants and the defenders. uh. So that's something which is for me uh, a matter of of great concern. You mentioned also terrorism as one of the, abetting terrorism as one of the justifications for, um, you know, such actions. Yes, I, in fact, uh, I wanted to celebrate the 20th anniversary uh, of the UN Declaration on Human Defenders, and uh, I, in in fact, launch a big survey amongst defenders, asking them, what do you need, in fact? What would be the best message that we could convey to states for this anniversary? And they, told, they all told me that uh, the most impressive uh, and the most uh, massive concern is the, the narrative on defenders. And as you rightly say, they are called uh, close to terrorists. They are called enemies of the states. Uh, promoters of Western values. Uh, They are accused of being smugglers, uh, as I I said, uh, anti-development against progress. uh, And in fact, those campaigns of defamation and vilifications have an impact on how the global population of those countries uh, would uh, assess the defenders. uh. While those people are simply trying, people that are trying to promote and protect their rights uh, that have been adopted uh, 70 years ago in in Paris uh, with the UDHR. And uh, because they are promoting the rights, uh, trying to prom- protect uh, those who are protecting the rights and promoting the rights, they are in fact accused of, uh, of being like the evil. I just want to uh, make sure you said they're 
viewed as protecting or bringing Western values. Yes. In Middle Eastern countries, you mean? In, in, or? in many countries. Uh, huh. If you take Central America, Latin America, when it comes to uh, LGBTI activists, uh, uh-huh. or uh, when it comes to uh, sexual and reproductive rights, like abortion, for instance, uh, those defenders are accused of uh, yeah, introducing uh, Western values that would not reflect uh, the uh, moral uh, attitude of those countries. That's the case in Africa as well with uh, LGBTI. In many countries, uh, you see that uh, those who are trying to protect uh, activists are in fact uh, in great danger. And uh, the call for moral values uh, is something which is for me uh, uh, a global trend that you see in many countries uh, and that would explain why those politicians are currently uh, uh, trying to vilify the defenders. That is independent rights expert Michael Frost talking to UN Radio's Elena Vabnichnaya. Liberia's President George Ware has declared that all undergraduates at public universities across the country will enjoy free tuition. Students had recently protested against the fee hikes, accusing the University of Liberia administration of unilaterally hiking fees. Liberian journalist Joel Brooks. The student population are overwhelmed of the announcement by the president yesterday. In fact, I was on the campus of the university when the entire campus went wild following the pronouncement by the president that all universities, uh, including the state-owned university, will have a free, free education. All the students, the students, even the parents, the parents of two going uh, children at the university were so excited. All radio stations, this morning, teachers, students, uh, loud and places on our president. We are even the parents. Where is the money going to come from, uh, Mr. Brooks? Uh, the money that will fund this free education? Well, that's the million dollar question people are asking as to whether where will the government get the money from because we know the universities are going through a lot of expenses. Uh, to keep up the students, and the private universities are also doing similar things. So people are wondering as to where the government is going to get the money, the fee finance, whatsoever that is happening at the Durham University. People are questioning the president where the money is going to come from. Do you think a president were buckled under pressure uh, from students who have been protesting against the hiking of uh, the fees by universities? Yeah, you can say that. Uh, critics are saying uh, the president took the decision because of the students' uh, continuous, uh, uh, continuous harassment. Uh, by, according to them, harassment by the two administrators, uh, hacking prices, hacking the situation and all of that. So critics are saying uh, probably the president did it, you know, to, to put smile on the faces of the students who have been going through a lot of difficulties. But one of the issues that touch the ground and most of the opposition are saying is that why should the president come out to say uh, all schools should not pay, uh, all students should not pay tuition when in fact that the, the country is seeking for amazing billions. I mean those those are the things that critics are saying. Okay? What is the missing billion? Why the president is talking about getting free education? I mean, that's it. What are the timelines, uh, Mr. Brooks? When is uh, this free education going to be implemented? The next semester, not this semester. The next semester, hopefully next year. That is Joel Brooks, who is a librarian journalist, talking to Capital, talking rather to Kumbara Munjarada from the Capital, Monrovia. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. It's now time for news headlines.
Thank you, Spumalele. Making headlines, authorities in the northern Nigerian city of Kaduna have relaxed a round-the-clock curfew that was imposed because of deadly sectarian violence between Muslim and Christian mobs. The trial of Nigerian controversial pastor Timothy Omotoso has been postponed to next Tuesday in the Port Elizabeth High Court in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province. And finally, United States authorities have discovered suspicious packages sent to former President Joe Biden and actor actor-activist Robert De Niro, both fierce critics of President Donald Trump. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thank you very much, Jolani, for that update. It is 17.30 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest. On Channel Africa, let's continue to give you news from an African perspective. The value of smart investment partnerships took center stage at the fifth edition of the South Africa-Italy Summit held at the Mesler Hotel in Johannesburg. This is an effort to strengthen relations between Southern Africa and its largest trade partner, the European Union. The business fraternity has, over the last two days, gathered to discuss issues such as tourism, manufacturing and education sectors' importance to the growth of investment between Europe and Southern Africa. Channel Africa's Ntlantla Matlang was there. The South Africa-Italy summit has grown to become one of the most important forums to discuss strategic economic issues between Southern Africa, Italy and Europe at large. The summit provided a platform for dialogue and debate between leaders of Southern Africa and Europe. Its purpose was to foster cross-national business engagement and investment relations. Organized by the European House of Ambrosetti Teha in partnership with the Gauteng government, Teha's managing partner and chief executive officer Valerio de Moli said it's important to put Southern Africa on the radar of European companies together with the many opportunities the region has to offer. Here's more on some of the issues discussed. We are discussing about modern advanced manufacturing. We are talking about the uh, importance of a modern sustainable tourism to create wealth and growth. We are talking about the geopolitical risks that are affecting globally the world and Africa in particular and stability. We are talking about the key priorities for Gauteng in order to accelerate the growth and do it better. Uh, we are talking about investing in Southern Africa for non-African companies, European business leaders. So those are among the issues uh, we are raising. Zeken Karimeng, founder of the Mopong Investment Holdings and advisor to the Ambrosetti Group in South Africa, says several advances have been made between South Africa and Italy since the inception of the summit. I think the most is really by looking at the trade figures because this is an economic summit where we building up our intention is to make sure that trade between both countries goes up but the other important issue really it's South Africa has a, a historical relationship with Italy on an area of uh, trade the automotive sector We've seen quite a number of advances whereby the Italian companies are now working with um, small South African companies to be part of the global value chain to supply the big uh, automotive sector with parts and various other components. Namibia's Deputy Minister of Environment and Tourism, Bennett Jagger, spoke on the topic tourism and territorial branding. She said by working together, Africa and Europe can unleash and nurture the growth of both continents. Today, the world is a village. We are all interconnected. We are one. Europe will need Africa, and Africa will need Europe. Therefore, it is upon us to accept ourselves as equal and fair partners, and especially in the field of tourism, cooperate to generate decent jobs for our people, contribute to the maintenance of our cultures and languages, as well as through that foster tolerance for peace and understanding of each other's realities in a respectful manner. There was Namibia's Deputy Minister of Environment and Tourism, Bernadette Jäger.
The European Union is the number one exporter to Southern Africa, its main trading partner and the major investor in the region. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Tlantla Matlangu in Johannesburg. The 63rd Ordinary Session of the African Commission on Human and People's Rights has begun in Banjul, in the Gambian capital, to discuss the deteriorating rights of lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender people in Malawi. The panel will come to an end this Friday with a communique signed and sent to Malawi authorities for action. Here's Judge Mohango. This comes at a time when local and international human rights organizations wrote the African Commission to intervene in the continued tendency by Malawi authorities to sideline the LGBTI community in areas of health and human rights. Therefore, the session by Center for Development of People, CEDEP, a Malawi-based LGBTI organization, and African Men for Sexual Health and Rights is a move aimed at forcing Lilongwe to take the welfare of the LGBTI community seriously. This coincides with a new Human Rights Watch report, Late Posterity Judge Violence and Discrimination Against LGBTI People in Malawi, which will be issued on Friday after being profiled during the panel. Blanda City resident James Banda is one such a person who feels the meeting has been timely as it will ensure that authorities and relevant stakeholders work together in dealing with discrimination. They could have had the muscle to say, let's talk about them, let's think about them in terms of how best we can assist them. Yes, we cannot avoid, we cannot run away, they are amongst us, but the only problem is they are not coming out openly, maybe for fear of reprisal, for fear of discrimination, looking at our cultural background, our cultural values, but it's high time maybe they come out, Yes, at the end of the day, people might accept they are part of the society. So the only challenge is that uh, government is not aware of how many people are in this community, how the number of statistics, uh, so it will be a problem. It's been always a challenge for the authorities to say, okay, let's review the laws and let's uh, make sure we accommodate them. Because one area that is also a major challenge is about accessing medical uh, facilities because if they don't come out it's always difficult for authorities to make a plan for them so that's the challenge. Human Rights Watch found out that Malawi's laws prohibiting consensual same-sex relations foster a climate of fear and fuel violence and discrimination. Human Rights Watch interviewed 45 LGBTI people in Lilongwe and Blantyre and lawyers, activists and government representatives to ascertain this. For media practitioner Innocent Pongoro, the hostile legal environment combined with stigma allows police abuse to go unchecked and prevents many LGBTI people from reporting violence or getting medical care. But with this meeting, I hope and believe that uh, maybe government will come out clearly, uh, will also uh, consider uh, the LGBTI uh, community. What we have to understand is that they are humans, they have their own feelings, they have their way of doing things. And um, it's quite absurd that we should be standing on their way, on how they want to do uh, things, on how they want to exercise their own rights. So it's time that we should uh, give them a chance, uh, that maybe we should appreciate how they're going uh, to handle themselves and how they were, they're going to do their own things. Otherwise, they are humans. The way other people feel, that's the way they feel as well. So we should not infringe on their rights or their feelings. Researchers have found a number of cases in which police had randomly arrested and detained transgender people and in some cases physically assaulted them. Mavuto Jere, a minority rights campaigner, backs the session. In terms of leveling up the field where people who are in sexual minorities can be able to express themselves clearly, we still have so far to go, to have a field that is that is level, that they can express what they want and be heard to a number of people. Most of them right now, they're still speaking, but they're speaking in silence. Uh, they are still invisible. They are there, but they are just invisible. We expected them to uh, open up to Malawians to, to start talking about it and, and chat the way forward on what we need. What we have seen so far, they are still playing the same old politics where they are saying 
uh, it's up for Malawian to decide. It's up for Malawian to decide. So we have a government which is still uh, exhibit, exhibiting some cowardice of some sort, where they don't want to come out clearly on what they intend Malawians uh, to do or, on, on this, because they're saying, no, Malawians, we have to debate this, now we need a referendum. Uh, all those things are just showing that they don't want to come out clearly on these issues of uh, sexual minorities. Yep. Challenges faced by the LGBTI community first came into the limelight when then gay couple Tiwonge Chimpalanga and Stephen Monjeza waited publicly in Blantaya. A week later, they were arrested and jailed, only to be released after discussions between then-president, now the late Bingo Mtarika, and former UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon, George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantaya. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebati, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Seventeen forty Central African time. Now, South African hip hop fraternity has described artist Jablani Zambo, popularly known as a Double HP, as a pioneer of local hip hop, who paved the way for young artists. The thirty-eight-year-old died yesterday at his home in Rand Park Ridge, west of Johannesburg. The cause of his death has not been officially disclosed. However, his battle with depression and suicide attempts is well documented. During his extensive music career, the man known as Jabba, was nominated for numerous awards, including a Black Entertainment Television Award for Best International Act in 2010. Double HP released 10 albums during his 18-year career in the music industry. Session Naidu has this report. Hi, I just woke up now. It's the first day in my feet Came to find out. I'm boss working, man. Whichever name you use to refer to him, Double HP or Jabba, the King of Mufftown has been described as a pioneer by his peers and fans. Born on the 14th of September, 38 years ago, Double HP grew up in Mafikeng, a township in the northwest. His success in the hip-hop music genre saw him release 10 albums including Mufftown, YBA to NW and Acceptance Speech. To hip-hop fans and his peers, Jabba is considered a legend in the industry. Hip-hop artist Dilo Magolide says Double HP has left behind an eternal legacy. More than anything, the legacy that WHP is leaving behind is the love he has for his family and the love that he gave to the nation, the amazing music, the catalogue that, he, that, that he's given us throughout the years, uh, the inspiration and this whole new wave of artists came off the backbone of WHP, the sacrifices that they had to uh, they, they had to endure for us to be here. The challenges they had to be to face for us to be here. Metro FM, it's where you're at. We are live on the drive. Double HP Jabba. Speaking on the SABC's Metro FM's Afternoon Drive show with DJ Mo Flavor two weeks ago, Jabba spoke about how far he has come personally and as a musician. He indicated that he was in a good place and gave his thoughts on legacy. What is your idea of, of a legacy? And, and for someone yeah. like you, it's, it's ever more relevant because yeah. you've, you've seen it all, done it all, you've got yeah. all the t-shirts and, and some are still loading. Yeah. So in your, in your understanding, what is, what is a legacy? I think legacy is something that you kind of do that you know throughout time even way past like you know your life it'll always be kind of like you know carved in stone as something that you have played a part and a role in like you know 
discovering and you know keeping big Prominent hip-hop group Squatter Camp says they will always remember the king of hip-hop for his humility and approachable character. Squatter Camp's Yabonga Metane says WHP always put his heart and soul into everything he did. The difference with all of us though and everyone else is that he was approachable. He'd sit and literally sit with guys in a band. He'd sit with a bunch of kids in a choir. He'd literally like be approachable enough and put his heart into those things that some of us be like, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. That's a little bit foreign for me as a creative. As a creative, he was never un- he was never uncomfortable to stretch himself to things outside hip-hop, you know, and outside the genre. To a point that he did so well, he'd almost create a new genre. Mm. Hence, there's a thing called Mutuako. Jabba's family has been hardest hit by his death. Tabiso Tashman Sotetsi says Jabba's wife, Lerato Singadi, is battling to come to terms with the loss of her husband. His wife is definitely not okay. His wife can't stand, can't walk, can't eat, can't even drink water, you know, so she she is in a shock of note. Um, the family, the family, they have accepted it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are okay with it. I mean, the the situation is a shocker to almost everybody, you know, so um, as is, the family is still as shocked as, as ever, but what can we do, what can we say? We just have to accept what has just happened. Details of his funeral are yet to be made public. I'm Sasha Naidu in Johannesburg. It is now time for economic news. Here's Usain Matabula. Good evening. Thanks, as permitted. Former Standard Bank uh, Group CEO and businessman Yako Mare says South Africa Investment Conference will focus on broader investment in various sectors that drive the South African economy. He says the best kind of investment is that which creates greater employment opportunities. Mare is one of the four economic invoices uh, appointed by President Sir Ramaphosa to raise investment for the country in the local and global market. Government is committed to attract at least 85 million U.S. dollars worth of investment over the next five years. Maria was speaking at the SA Impact Investment Conference happening on the sidelines of the inaugural South African Investment Conference, which officially kicks off on Friday in Sentin. John is back. What about sectors and types of investment? All investment is good when you look at it from a GDP point of view. The best would be a company that's exporting and employing lots of people giving jobs for the workforce that we have, not jobs for the workforce we wish we had. So the sectors that will be addressed tomorrow are agriculture and agro-processing, mining and minerals beneficiation, manufacturing, transport, energy, water, ICT and the digital economy, tourism, BPO, business process outsourcing, venture capital and entrepreneurship. Sudan has agreed to lift a partial ban on Egyptian goods and remove obstacles to the movement of goods and people between the two neighboring states. Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir announced this trade development during a visit to Khartoum by his Egyptian counterpart, Abdel Fatah al-Assisi. And the CEO of South Africa State Pension Fund Manager, the PIC, Dan Machila, has denied corruption allegations. This as a judicial inquiry into governance at the $137 billion US dollar fund prepares to get underway. PIC is Africa's biggest pension fund and the biggest investor in South Africa's economy. It holds large volumes of bonds issued by government and state-owned firms and equity stakes in some blue-chip companies. President Sir Ramaphosa ordered an inquiry into the fund after opposition parties accused Majila of misuse of funds and careless investment decisions. 
Social media giant Facebook has been fined close to 850,000 US dollars by the UK's data protection watchdog for its role in the Cambridge Analytica data scandal. The Information Commissioner's Office says Facebook allowed a serious breach of the law to take place. The fine is the maximum allowed. Facebook says it's reviewing the decision. Meanwhile, Twitter easily better Wall Street revenue and profit estimates, pushing its shares up 11%. Quarterly advertising revenue jumped 29% to 650 million US dollars from a year earlier, boosted by advertising sales or broadcasts from media companies. That contributed to a similar jump in overall revenue from a year earlier to $758 million, beating analysts' average estimate of $702.6 million. Financial indicators say the dollar turns 7.4 Botswana Pula, 11.59 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, we've got the dollar at 3.7 Brazilian Real, 65.45 Russian Ruble, 7.307 Indian Rupee, 6.94 Chinese Yuan, and at 14.36 against the South African Rand. Commodities now gold at $1,237, platinum $831 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil $75.58 per barrel. And that's how it's looking. It is 17.50 Central African time. Thanks very much for signing Sound Time First Boss News. Here's Mosabudi. Good evening, sports fans. Now, SAFA President Dr. Danny Jordan believes that the South African national under-17 girls team has had the best preparation going to the FIFA under-17 Women's World Cup in Uruguay later this month. Now, Jordan was speaking at the final squad announcement for the Bantwana team that leaves for South America this weekend at SAFA House today. This is the second time Bantwana is going to the World Cup, having first qualified for the tournament back in 2010 in Trinidad and Tobago. Jordan expects that uh, they will make their mark this time around. Now, Bantuana are in a tricky group that involves Brazil, former champions Japan and Mexico and Jordan says there is no specific mandate for the team but he will be happy if they can reach the second round. To get out of the group uh, status and and into the knockouts, uh, that would be a major achievement because my own sense is that uh, the winner of of this uh, under-17 will probably come from our group. In the other group is probably Germany is there, uh, but um, they are probably in the, in the group of death. It's a very, very difficult group. But it is better that you have these major matches in the beginning, and if they can get through, they will certainly have the confidence uh, to move on to the gr- uh, group stage, uh, the knockout stages. And, and, and Sapiwe and, and Maud, I think, has done an incredible job to install confidence uh, in, in these players. Meanwhile, Badwana head coach Simpiwe Lulu in naming her final squad of 21 players says she gone for the bulk on the squad that did duty for the weather in the four qualifiers leading up to this qualification for the World Cup. Lulu, who's a former Banyana Banyana captain, looks back at how far they've come in assembling the squad. The Sasa League has done an incredible job for us where they they get to expose these girls week in, week out. And when it's Sasa National Playoffs, we're also able to see these players. But the biggest thing that we did as Safa is we um, developed a scouting tree, which we started already in 2014, we did it. 2015, we did it. And this year, we even did it even better, where we visited different provinces and spent time there and have kids come in on a weekend and we select and keep shortly listing them, keep calling them um, into camps and just fine-tune and get the best players. 
Now, former Manchester United youth coach Francesco Philho has been sacked as the head coach of Mauritius after 15 months in charge. Now, local coach Akbar Patel returns to take over for a fourth stint in charge of the national team. Now, despite winning just three games from 13, the country sports minister Stephen, or rather Stephen Toussaint, said the Brazilian was not sacked due to the poor results. And finally, in tennis news, Caroline Pliskova says patience was the key as she secured her first victory over fellow Czech Republican P- uh, Petra Kivtova to claim a place in the WTA finals last four. Now, Pliskova's 6-3-6-4 victory meant she completed her white group play with a 2-1 record to advance to the semifinals of the eight-woman tournament for a second year in a row. Zai Sports News at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. Let us recap our top stories. U.S. President Donald Trump says uh, the full weight of the federal government is being deployed to bring those responsible to justice after bomb-like devices were mailed to high-profile political leaders. UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights Defenders says anti-immigrant rhetoric around the world is increasingly wiring. With that, we wrap up Africa Digest for this hour. For myself, as Pumele Lezondi producer, Jose Dengake, technical technical producer, Dumelo Mokwena, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you very much for joining us. You can find us on info at channelafrica.co.za, tweet us on channelafrica1. And you can send your WhatsApp messages plus two seven seven six three hundred double three two seven plus two seven seven six three zero zero double three two seven. We leave you with a song by Questa Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. Bye bye.
Ru, Begelis Chapa, Duru, Gerazungal, Toala Namaji, Toana Le Kuliswenge Flake, Batikas Alpatal, Bafana Bam Keep the Change. Sound is Yawagumnan, Kopogi Dust, Gantenguba, Nunga Tugisan, Mamba Nesam, or I choose my car, look at the four five, and Simbi Naya, Kundime ina ya zochitika mu Afrika.